You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself, Ian O'Connell, is Mary Gardner. Mary is a community gardener with Angardi Shiakana. She is currently fighting breast cancer as well. We'll be talking about what a community guard does, young people getting a bad name, the Garda Youth Achievement Awards, Mary's cancer journey and much more. Sit back and enjoy the show. Mary, thanks a million for, for coming on today. No bother, a pleasure Ian as always my friend. Delighted. First of all, how, how are you keeping? Good, yeah. Um, I suppose any day you can get out of the bed lads and, and be upright is, is, is a good day I suppose Ian. Um, not too bad, I've, um, as people know I suppose I'd a uh, a, a tough old year um this year a year i wasn't expecting and my family weren't expecting um i was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer back at the, the middle of january actually this year which was it was a bolt from the blue like because i would have been healthy and you know everything as i thought was a-okay but uh, unfortunately yeah i received a, di- a cancer diagnosis back in the middle of january so i've had a, a bit of a battle oh, i suppose all year yeah um, I I like to kind of bring all my guests back to I suppose the start as a as a child, just to give the the listeners kind of a background. You're originally from Cork, are you? Absolutely, I'm very proud of it. Proud of <laughs> yeah, it. so I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I suppose I'm a blow into Kerry, even though I'm down here now. Twenty, oh my goodness, twenty three, twenty four years at this stage. But yeah, so I'm originally from Cork City, so I would have been born and bred in the, the Glen, which is on the north side of Cork City. So I lived in a, a council housing estate um, on the Glen, and my house it was actually between ourselves, uh, the back door, back of my house, eh, there was a small field between Cork Prison and the back of my house. So I actually oh, grew up literally at the back of Cork Prison. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, we did a great childhood. I, I come from a family of four, so I have an older brother, Matthew, my sister Eileen, who's three years younger than me, and my younger brother uh, Tony, he's a guard actually as well in Grona Braher, the north side of Cork City, in community policing as well. So it kind of runs the family, I suppose. Little did we know it would. But um, yeah, look, um, my mom Dolores, my father um, Matt, my father passed away twelve years ago. Um, he would have been a big, a big, you know, inspiration in my life growing up. I suppose I would have got my love of sport through my father. He would have been a staunch piercing man. Um, big time into basketball is on my father who'd been secretary of the Cork County Basketball Board for years and so that's I suppose it stemmed a, a great love of the sport which I am still involved in now but uh, yeah so I grew up there went to school in St Angeles which is in uh, Cork City on Patrick's Hill so I was fine and fit from walking up Patrick's Hill every day home from school we didn't get any list of school huh? that the, that's the big steep hill is yeah, it yeah yeah so the school I was on Ian, was just in the middle of Patrick's Hill so we used to leave home and it was grand going to school because we were going downhill. But by God, you know, people are looking forward when the bell rings, like when it's time to go home. We were kind of saying, oh God, <laughs> I have to walk back up the hill home. But um, look, I had a great um, a great childhood, I suppose, and I have very fond memories uh, of school and trucking up the hill. Um, it seemed desperate at the time, but there were easy days when I look back at it. Um, there were good old days. Um, so... After that, I uh, did my leaving cert when I was 16, actually. So I was only 16 when I did the leaving cert. Very young, um, very young. So I suppose when I was going to school, there was no transition year. 
Yeah. Um, I was young when I, I went to school. What happened was, I suppose, my sister arrived along in the August and I was thrown into school then. I wasn't even four. So I there was no kind of nursery school either or preschool. So I was thrown out the door when the other one arrived. Um, so, yeah, I was 16. I suppose not a lot of 16-year-olds know what they want to do uh, at that age. And even now, look, looking at it, if I thought my 16-year-old was going to college, I think I'd have a coronary. Honest God, I, I wouldn't. When I think back, I was a bit mad. But I went to uh, CIT, which is known as now, but it was the RTC. And I did business studies. So I did uh, marketing in college and finished that. And I was, it was two years, it was a cert at the time, so it was only two years. And look, I was still only, I was 18 and I had two years of college done. And I went back then and I did recreation and leisure, health and leisure, I suppose, what you call it. And I absolutely loved it. Loved that course. And, um, you know, how wouldn't I? I was mad into sports and this was my dream course. Like, um, so I did that. And again, uh, the guards actually, where it came up and I said, you know what, I, I'm going to give a, give a try with that. Oh yeah. I said, I, I'll give a go at that. And I applied for the aptitude test. And did you um, always meantime, know that you wanted to be a guard or was it just out the blue? No, no, definitely not. No, it wasn't something I suppose I would have thought about it um, over the years, but being honest with you, where I was, there wasn't many guards came from, um, the Glen and the north side of Park yeah. City at the time, you know, it, it was just different. To, um, we wouldn't have had any interaction with guards, um, thankfully, good or bad. <laughs> um, we had no interaction with guards. Um, it was something I would have thought of, but not very seriously at all at all. Um, the aptitude test came up for the guards, and again, I was only twenty. Now, in the meantime, I actually had my son Jamie, who's twenty-five. So when the aptitude test came up, Jamie was only two weeks old. And the night before the aptitude test, he actually ended up in hospital. I'll never forget right. it. He ended up in hospital, yeah, um, with breathing difficulties. So I spent the night in the hospital, myself and Tam, um, spent the night in the hospital with him. And my mom came up to the hospital that morning and left the two of us, go off into Neptune Stadium in Cork and sat the aptitude test for the guards. And yeah. We 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 passed the aptitude test. So I don't know. You done it together, did <laughs> no, you? No, I don't know how. Huh? You done it together? Uh, yeah, yeah. Tom, really? my other half knows. So we sat the the aptitude test together. Neither of us ever had thought really of joining the guards. Let's be honest. Um, sat the aptitude test, and lo and behold, we um we passed it. I still don't know how, but we did. And called for an interview. And say, Livy, I'm here twenty three twenty three years. I had in the guards actually last week. Go um, away. So, I remember yeah, actually reading years. that on, on some article. I think it was with, was with the exam or the independent there mm -hmm. last week. But um, do you know when you are going for the guards, is it is it true or like how does it work? Are you allowed to be a guard in your own city or do you have to go to a different kind of location? Yeah, so I suppose at the start, um, Ian, you have to be a certain amount of kilometres away from where you're from. And I, I absolutely understand that totally. Um, you know, it's um, it's something I suppose for one, you don't want to be perceived as just because you know somebody that you know you're dealing with them a different way, or you know that kind of way. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, suppose yeah, exactly in in layman's terms. Um, but it's a good thing I think as well that you are sent somewhere else. Um, you know, to deal with people. Uh, you, you know, standing your own two feet, I suppose, really, and try, yeah. you know make yourself what you are but yeah you can't be within a certain um, amount of kilometers from where you're from or your relations actually i remember we to do a list 
when I joined about my relations and, and Tom did up his list and he used to write down all your cousins and yeah. their addresses and what have you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to give in a list of all your relations, where they're living, um, the whole of that. So I remember having to do mine and Tom's was maybe like he had like 14 cousins or something like that to write them down. But mine was a bit different. So, ma'am, I wrote down like on my dad's side, I had like 30 cousins, at first cousins, my dad's and on my mom's side, like 86. So oh, I was all day right. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge amount of us there. Like, it was hilarious. I was writing down all the addresses, and I was like, oh, my God, this is never going to end. I said, they probably got bored looking through my and saying, oh, for God's sake, just don't send her to car. Just don't send her to car, whatever we do. But, um, yeah, you do, yeah. So it's, it's actually, you know, it's quite strict, really. You know, you wouldn't be really be sent somewhere where you have relations or anything like that. And, look, it's only for your protection as well, Um, to be fair. And, um, do you know, when you are going for it, like you said, you set the test, then you are called for the interview. Must you do so much of a stint in kind of like a college form thing or how does the process work? Yeah, so back when I did it long, long ago, I sound like my small friend now, he's always saying years and years ago, he's always saying, <laughs> um, years and years ago when I did it, um, we had to go then and sit a test, um, a written test, I suppose, report writing, and you had an interview then, um, obviously a, a face-to-face interview with people, whereas now... Um, no, it's different. It's all an, an online thing. So I think when you apply now, you're, you're it's an online um, apps you test, I suppose, or maybe there's a different word in it now. Apps you test. Oh, my God, I feel so old talking like this. But anyway, like there's the, an online. Like the junior yeah. intercert. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's all online now. And you do these tests online and you're scored a certain um, mark, I suppose, from how you get on with it. And then you can move on to the next one if you're successful with that. And then it's the same thing, you go on then to an interview. But when you go into Templemore now, it's very different. When I joined, we had to do six months, which is known as phase one in Templemore. So you do all the the theory, the learning, policing studies, legal studies and that. Um, when you pass that, then you were put out to a station as a student guard for six months, um, which was, I love that I was sent to Cork City. Um, I think because I had Jamie, I was sent to Cork City. Um, my small fellow was only 10 months old when I went into the Garda College. Um, so I was sent down to Cork City, which I wouldn't have been able to be fair, I wouldn't have been able to manage otherwise, like if I wasn't yeah. home with him. And it was tough. But um sent there for six months, so you got to work with a unit to see how the guards actually, you know, work. You don't actually do anything, you've no power powers, power sounds as if I'm Austin Powers here, but you don't have any powers of arrest or anything like that. Um then we were back to Templemore for three months, which was known as phase three back out then to you were given your permit station and so I was actually sent to Listole as my first station as a probationer guard um, so I spent nine months there as a guard um, doing what every other guard was doing and back into college then for six weeks for phase five whereas now you're in there for six months then you're done you're out really yeah yeah you're you're, you're done like and COVID actually changed an awful lot of it because there was a lot of guards went in there and they were only in there for a couple of weeks and then COVID hit and out they were put to stations and they were attested. Attested means that you're you're made a guard, like really, you know, that you have the legal right to arrest somebody and what have you. So it was very tough on, on them as well. You know, I suppose it was a different policing. Policing was very different during COVID. So, it, it, you know, they didn't get to see an awful lot of the stuff that I would have seen when yeah. I was out as a student because, you know, the world had stopped him. So, you know, they were out there, we were doing these checkpoints and asking people where they were going, like they didn't really get to see. So they were kind of thrown into the deep end when COVID hit because people were like, oh, sure, guard, no, for the last two years, like, you know, off you go. 
it was, you know, I, I kind of do feel sorry for them. But they're they're doing fantastic. All all those probationary guards as well. But yeah, it's very very different now. Very different now. It is, and it's mad to to kind of hear the process because, like you said, it's so different now with COVID and and oh, um, yeah. and everything. Obviously, different kind of sections in the in the guards and stuff. You were were you a community guard? Yeah, so I'm a community guard now. Um, when I came up first, I was on the the regular, as you call it. So that would be, say, the guards in the cars who were answering all the calls and stuff like that. So when I went to Listowel, it was a very small unit. Um, there was maybe like was a five of us on the unit. So you'd have one at the station as a station orderly answering the calls and giving out the calls and dealing with people coming to the hatch. Like some nights we might have only had three or four. Um, you'd have two in the car then. You know, to, to respond to all the calls. Um, say after the soul, then I was sent to Ballybunion. Um, I was there for eleven years. Eleven very happy years in Ballybunion. I spent absolutely fantastic people. I loved it. Like I really, really loved Ballybunion. Um, but I would have been on my own an awful lot there on the unit, so I would have been going to things, any calls on my own. It's just the way it works with numbers, like you know. Um, so the people outside, I have to give them credit. They were amazing. I was never stuck for anything. I used to always say like I was on my own working, but I wasn't really because I could ring anyone, give me a dig out, you know, if there was something. And that's the locals. Like they were just the best people. I swear to God, you know, because I often say that community, like we depend on the community as much as they depend on us. Like we yeah. couldn't do our job without them. It's just impossible to do it. Like, you know, so it's like they say community policing, like every guard should be a community policeman in my eyes because like without the community, we're at nothing. Where are your guardians of the pieces? What a guard she kind of translates to. Um, you know, we're on un- an un- un- unarmed force. Yeah. Um obviously like any guard you see out there in uniform, we don't carry a gun. And you know, I think it's a it's a great thing that we do have that. Um and I know the world has changed and things have moved on and you know there's been an increase in in incidents involving guns like that. But we can we are still operating as an unarmed police force really. And we can only do that because of the community that we work with. So I'm very thankful for that as well. And like you said, you you kind of depend on the community just as much vice versa. And I think we yeah. we really seen that during COVID, like the pictures going around, even not not even just in Kerry, but all around Ireland mm-hmm. going to going to the say elderly with carton of milk or, or oh, whatever yeah. they needed. What did um during that, what does community mean to you? And did it kind of become more aware during COVID how much like, because sometimes the guards, they can get like a, a, a bad rap for somebody yeah. saying, oh, all they done. But like during COVID, you kind of really grew relationships with the, the community. Oh, 100%. Couldn't be more. Cha. I think I suppose I remember um, sitting here myself at home. I'd finished work and I came home the night that it was announced that literally everything was stopping at the very start. We thought it was going to be for like, two or three weeks, you know, this COVID thing. And I remember the speech was given and geez, I even went up to Tesco's that night, like the queues above there, people were running like, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Matt getting consumed in this and I didn't even eat anything. Toilet but roll, then, loaves of bread, everything. Oh, for God's sake, the freezers, buy a chest freezer, quick, we have to get this. When I think of it, oh my God, it was bananas. But again, we didn't know, like, um, I suppose when COVID hit, it was, it was very serious. Um, we were all working throughout COVID and it really, really brought community home to me, definitely. Even my own neighbourhood here, I live in uh, Blenerville, Tonavan. And I I could even see here how neighbours were helping neighbours. Um, 
But for ourselves, I think we had to get out there more. It really it showed me as well. Um, I never I, I got to meet people in the community where I'm a community guard that I never, ever had met before. Got to meet, as you said, a lot of elderly people, but for a lot of lonely people. You know, I yeah. went around knocked on doors to see if people needed anything and something that I suppose we hadn't the time to do, Ian. When the world was going, when the world stopped, we had this time to do that. Like, And I got to meet so many people, saw the needs of so many people out there. Um, you know, as you said, doing the shopping that there was what the probationer guard who came in our unit, um, Brian English, fierce nice lad, he's in Toker now. But he was assigned to myself um during COVID when he came out. And I remember the first day, you know, sent him in off um not bringing in the shop for people and he was kind of going, I'd say he thought, Is this really what the guards is about? And I was like, Yes, this is what the guards is about right now, like you know, but that was a pleasure, I'll be honest with you. Um I I gave me great satisfaction doing that, helping somebody. I love to help people. And, you know, I, I often say it like we can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Yeah. So, it was, you know, it was a great thing um, to be able to do that for people. And people were very worried back then. And I suppose they, they kind of got a bit of comfort knowing that we were still out there. You know, you're not going to be stuck or something. And our, our, our thing was like we're there to help. And I think people actually, you know, the phone calls that come to the station from somebody who might never have rent cards before. I said, look. Is there any chance that somebody can, you know, I need medicine collected? And they felt awful doing it, but it was it was great to be able to do it for them. And then there wasn't this fear of having to ring the guards to look for help. And I think a lot of people did look for help during COVID, but a lot of people there gave help as well. Not just the guards, you had the football clubs, you had organisations, you had little kids like, you know, looking out for their neighbours, looking out for each other. COVID was absolutely hard, terrible, a thing that happened to us. But it really brought out the best of people. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't get over it. Like it really brought the goodness out of people. And I hope, I hope we still remember it. Like, you know, we should often look back in it and see how people responded then and not forget it going forward. Because, you know, I genuinely think it brought the best out in people, honest to God. And it really kind of brought community to the centre and looking out for each other. And I think if we look out for each other, lads, we're not going to go far wrong. Absolutely. And like you said, everyone can, can help each other. Um, yeah. Just staying on COVID there, um, I remember that there was different things, you know, TikTok really became a kind of a trend during COVID. Yeah. And I think that's all over the, the world and stuff. And mm-hmm. guards in Kerry and all around the country, they got kind of involved in the the Jerusalem yeah. dance and stuff. Oh, yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, I suppose the first one... I did here, it was with my neighbours in Tonavan. We did Amarillo, if you remember, um, off down the road and getting a bucket of water thrown over me here. We did that here for uh, Do It For Dan, actually. Um, you know, that campaign that was going yeah. on at the time. And uh, we did, it was frontline, it was frontline, today FM were running this frontline, sorry, that's another radio station, but anyway, frontline, right. working for the frontline, that's what it was. And we said, no, we're going to do something because we'd been meeting a social distant kind of exercise class. We've been doing it for the last few weeks over COVID, just that we'd see each other and we were like meters away from each other and we were doing these exercise classes, having the crack. And then we started, you know, we'll do that. And we'd done Mamma Mia for Radio Kerry actually the week before. We'd done a whole Mamma Mia thing with Mrs. O'Brien, Terry O'Brien's mother and everything was included in it. Like that was it, inclusivity. But um, I think after that then, the whole Jerusalem thing uh, took off. I suppose the Swiss police challenged Ireland why I don't know. Um, they challenged Ireland to to do this, like not knowing that we class. Anyway, so we 
Yeah, we put it together, lads, and we're always up for no challenge. And I oh, know it was lovely. Um, it was good, I suppose. It just was there for to show people. I think a highlight of Ireland, so lovely. And um, Steve McDonough was the lad who put it together, actually, from the the Garda headquarters. He actually put the whole thing together, and it was just it was lovely to show off. And it was truly was shown off. I said, I'm showing truly off this anyway. And Clarny's lovely. Clarny's beautiful. Kerry's lovely. But I said, Trillie needs to be shown off in this now, definitely. So we'd Blennerville and we'd Venus and we'd Tonavan Mountain and we had um, Banner Beach and everything. And I think it just looked lovely. And I think it, it was good that kids doing it all over the place and um, school kids. Um, there was an 88 year old lady from Wexford, actually. Her daughter sent me a video of her. She was doing it in her kitchen. I thought, oh, lads, it's lovely. Oh, it was nice. It really took me yeah, out. So nice. It was lovely. Look, just goes to the human side of us as well. Look, we, yes, we have a job to do, but like we're human at the end of the day. I have a family. I have kids. I like to do now TikTok. I'm normal. I eat food. I drink tea. You know, we're not robots at all. We are human at the end of the day. And it's great to to show the kind of including everybody, and it. it went all around the world like the the videos and stuff. Before we move yeah. on, I wanted to to touch on, and we were saying about sometimes like. The guards, you know, they say, oh, they're all they're trying to do is catch people out and stuff and that kind of name. But on the other hand, sometimes kind of kids and teenagers can get a, a bad rap sometimes. Like, and I want to just touch on the, the Garda Youth Awards. They were on not too long ago. Again, you were involved yeah. in in them the, the year I was at it. Do you want right. to tell me a bit about that and how important it is to, to highlight young people? Absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, um, every year, Kerry, it's, it's an actual thing now, obviously, when in Garda Shikana, but we have the Lee Strand Garda Youth Achievement Awards. So I suppose if people don't know about them, what it is, is people can nominate a young person um, in their area who has done something in the community or has basically done something for somebody else, an achievement. Now, it doesn't have to be that they've you know, invented some cure for some disease or anything. You know, people think that, oh God, if they have to get an award, it has to be for something off the scale altogether. Absolutely not. Um, you you were there yourself, and you see, you hear the stories of what people have done, young people have done. They've put themselves out there. They've overcome adversities. Um, you, you know, they, they've helped other people. And it's something that young people, as you say, get an awful bad rap for things. All we hear is the negative stuff. Oh, they're hanging around here. They're hanging around there. They're, you know, up to no good. We have the best young people out there, but they're, it's just not being highlighted. But it's a true thing. If you hear bad news, you're going to tell 10 or 12 people. If you hear good news, you might tell two or three. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's another Irish thing as well. Same with the Garda Youth Achievement Awards. It's, you know, we need to start praising these young people because they're, they're doing some fantastic work out there. And it's such a lovely thing to see these people, these young people acknowledged for what they've done. And it's a sense of achievement for the young person as well to be respected. And, uh, you know, thinking of some Jesus, you know, somebody's actually nominated me for this. And, you know, I am worth something and I have done this. And, and it's only right that they should be acknowledged. And look, Lee Strand have come on, were on board and it's the 25th year, actually, this year it was for the, the Youth Awards. And they've been sponsoring it for the last 25 years. Um, as as you all know, they look they're a fantastic company. They're they're all supporting everyone that you can't go around. You see them at every school jersey and club jersey and everywhere you go. But they've sponsored the awards for the last twenty five years, and it's a fantastic night. And just to hear the stories, um, of what young people have done, absolutely amazing and inspirational. I mean, the year yourself, um, remembering that you got it like it was great year. It was fantastic. It was just 
fantastic for like you know to hear your story and to hear all the other young people inside there it's just it's inspirational and you, you just sit back and you listen and you go oh my god what the hell did I do when I was younger like you know you're kind of going these young people are amazing and and just to hear their stories it's it's inspirational for for myself even you know as a 46 year old don't tell everyone else um but just to hear what these young people can do and how you know how they can go on to you know to hear what they've done at this young age and just imagine what they're going to do when they're older it's, it's brilliant and it's a fantastic night so if anyone out there is listening and they get the opportunity to nominate a young person in their area please do because it can mean the difference of that young person going forward and like you said it it it, it, it doesn't have to be uh, a cure for something or yeah you know climbing Mount Everest twice and exactly uh, yeah exactly like, because everyone's achievement like I often say as well like the stars you know young people develop at a different time and so do adults it's like you know when you look out the window at night time the stars don't all come out at the same time yeah. you know some stars come out earlier than others like and you know it, it's something that that I, I really feel that like these young people no matter how small that you might think this achievement is it's massive it's huge for these young people who put themselves out there are helping and, you know, doing things like, you know, it's good to encourage them and to acknowledge them for what they've done because they go on to do fantastic things in years to come. And it's going to benefit everyone else and they do that. Was it online, uh, Mary, over the, the two years of COVID or was it on mm-hmm. at all? Yeah, so it was on this year. It was on in the, the Valley Row again this year for the 25th year. But last year it was actually done with Radio Kerry. It was a brilliant night. Absolutely loved it. I, I sat here myself and listened to it. It was on for two hours and... It was fantastic. Um, you know, we had music, you would hearing all the young people's stories. So even though that COVID hit, the Garda, at least around Garda Youth Awards, still went on with Radio oh. Kerry. So, oh, no, it was brilliant. It still went on, yeah. We didn't let it slide at all. That's the main thing. Um, we'll move on there now to, to to more recent times, like you were saying at the start of the, the show. A crazy year for you when, mm-hmm. like you said, an unexpected one and... It's it's obviously been tough and everything. Do you want to bring us back to January of this year? Yeah, so I suppose in um, it, I kind of actually all kicked off. I suppose in December I, I was in a, a play basketball, and I'd been playing a basketball match with my team, Tree Tigers, and it was the sixth of December, and I'd come home feeling sorry for myself because I'd fallen and. So I came home from the basketball match, yeah, and I was in the shower, and I kind of felt sort of something on my my upper chest, and I thought it was like a. a a lump not even a lump it was just something a hardness and I thought didn't think too much about it but I said it to himself don't ask me why I, I did and he said oh get it checked out I had no notion I said oh I will yeah of course I will but he yeah. plagued me he plagued me thank god he did a lot of people are like that Mary when they find yeah. something oh my god absolutely plagued me and I went to the doctor and at the time it was actually hard to get an appointment um because of covid you know it was, it was all appointments were backed up but I got one anyway for the 9th of December and I went in and I got myself referred to Cork. So I was referred to Cork on the 4th of January. And I had the mammogram and I had a biopsy and an ultrasound. So I got a phone call then on the 13th of January. I remember sitting in the car with Tom outside Manor, sitting in the car. And the Yvonne, the breast care nurse, rang me from Cork to tell me to be back up the next day. And I knew then. I said, yeah. right, there's something wrong here. Obviously, she's not ringing me now to bring me up to give me a slice of cake and a, a cup of tea tomorrow. So, look, we went back up on the Friday. We hadn't told the kids anything. Um, you know, I said, what's the point in worrying them? We knew not ourselves. But we went back up that day and we were brought in by Professor Redmond, um, lovely man, uh, brought into the room. And look, they're very direct with you. 
They yeah. don't sugarcoat anything, which I, I do like, to be honest with you, which I suppose some people kind of get a bit taken back, but they have to be. You know, it's not like years ago where they'd hide something from you. Yeah. You know, people have the same. No, they're very direct at you. So they told me that I had um, invasive breast cancer. I had a tumor and it was seven and a half centimeters um, and that it was this her new positive cancer. So they explained to me it would have been a cancer that it's aggressive in the fact that it multiplies itself at a very excessive rate. So, you know, that's how the tumor had been so big. They reckon I had caught it early enough but because of the cancer I had that it was, you know, multiplies itself really, really fast. So basically I went home that day knowing that I had to have chemotherapy and surgery and radiotherapy and immunotherapy. Um, and I was due to start then on the 11th of February. So, yeah, it was a, a queer journey coming down. Look, obviously I got, I got a bit of a land, but like when they did say to me, I, I do remember my first thing saying was, okay, so is it curable? That's the first words that come out of my mouth. No, and it's all right. to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said to me, look, yes, he said, it is, but it's, you know, it's going to be aggressive treatment. And I said, that's fine. Once, you know, yeah. I heard that, that's all I want to know. And came home and I think like the hardest part for the whole thing for me, including the chemo, yes, that was tough. But I think the hardest part was telling my children. And that's the truth of it. Like, um, Do you know the way you said they were very direct with you? Yeah. Did you bring that on then to the children? Were you directed them or how did you go about it? Because obviously it's a, a mm-hmm. crazy situation. Oh, terrible. So I came home, I thought about it coming down the road. Myself and Tom spoke about it coming down the road. And I said, look, I'm just going to have to tell them. Um, and if actually my daughter, she'll be 18 now in December, the day we were going up, um, the day I was going up on the 4th of January, actually herself and Jamie, my oldest lad, he's 25, they were here, it was Christmas. We all had COVID actually over Christmas as well. So we were really stuck together for Christmas <laughs> last year. Um, they thought, they said, oh, geez, where are the two going? Because I said, look, lads, we'll be back in a few hours. You have to mind the small fella, Oshin, who's only six. So the, the lads were like, geez, what are they at? No, where are they going off to? They thought we were going away looking at a new car. Just, you know, like I said, no, love, it's not a new car. I have something yeah. to tell you. But I came home like Aoife sat her down remember we brought her home food and remember looking across the table going oh my god how am I going to tell her this how am I going to tell her and I eventually just said it I said Aoife look told her where I was and her face it was like her whole world fell apart in front of me and that's the truth I always say it like I've actually seen my daughter's world falling apart in front of me it was the hardest thing I've had to do but I just told her I said, look, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. I told her exactly what it was and that I did ask the doctor was it treatable. I didn't sugarcoat it from her. And to the extent that Yvonne, actually, the the nurse rang me during that week and my daughter was coming in the door from school and I actually put Yvonne on the loudspeaker. I said, really? Yvonne, Eve was here. Yeah, Eve was here with me as well. Will you just tell her exactly what you were tell, talking to me about? So Eva knew that I was hiding up from her. Now, the small flu was a different kettle of fish because, look, he was only five. Yeah. I was thinking, how am I going to tell him this? Like, but... I had to tell him then when I had chemo because um, obviously my hair was gone. Um, After the first chemo, the hair was gone like after two weeks. So I told him, Mammy, um, I told him Mammy had cancer. I used the word because I said, look, I didn't want to be afraid of the word or, you know, to have this fear around it. So um, I said, I'm sick, that I was going to have to take medicine and that it was going to make my hair fall out. So he was kind of looking at me. He said, look, I said, would you prefer Mammy to take the medicine? And get better or drop mammy not to take medicine and have hair. Yeah. And he says to me, I'll never forget it. He says, Can I think about it? I said, Oh, God. Go said, oh, yeah, yeah. So he went off anyway. At that said, age, Mom. like. Yeah. I said, Oh, God, I'm going to make up with you when he comes back and tells me keep my hair. But he came back and he said, 
Okay, mommy said, look, take your medicine. Who are you trying to fear for my birthday? I said, I'll try my best, yeah. So, you know, that was it with Oshin. And to be fair to him, he knew I was sick. He knew, you know, he was so good. But Tom was brilliant with him as well and the lads. But he was very good. Like, you know, he knew if mom was feeling sicky or... Yeah. Um, but I tried to keep things as normal as possible. Absolutely. Um, that's, well. that's important. You know? to, as yeah. Well. You know, when you were getting the, the chemo, I remember reading you, um, you struck up a kind of a, a good relationship with... There was one... Um, there was one nurse there. Was it Marie? Mm, Marie, Marie O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh my God. Like the first day I went in to have chemo, Tam came with me. There's somebody who was allowed to come out to the first day because, you know, you don't know. Of course, I thought this, oh, this will be fine. This will be grand. What is it? Only medicine. Ugh. Anyhow, I went in the first day and I was doing fine. Like, you know, they give the injections and I was granted they brought out these like frozen gloves that you have to put your hands into. And I was saying to her, what is this about? Oh, shit, oh, you know, this stuff can make your nails fall out. Like, you have to keep them in these frozen gloves. And I was thinking, oh, my God. Then and then it hit me. I kind of went, what has gone into me? But they're amazing over there, Ian. I cannot say enough about them over there. They're they're like angels on the earth without wings. I swear to God, like, they make you feel like you're the only person sitting there, even though they're so busy. Um, They're just the most loveliest people. But there was there's a girl, Marie O'Connor. She was the acute oncology nurse. And oh my God, did I plague her, the creator, throughout my chemotherapy? Oh my God. So anything that was wrong, she said, no, you have to ring us if there's something wrong. I don't think she was expecting all the calls she got, but she was unbelievable. Like she's just a fantastic way with her. You never felt like that something was, you know, if something happened to her, you, you'd say, right, I'm going to get on to Marie. And she just sorted, like she knew what to give you. She'd reassure you. She'd bring you over. She'd check you out. Oh, my God. They're just the most amazing, amazing. So my journey, my journey was great because I had them. I was very confident the whole way through. Like, I always went out the door after having chemotherapy. And I was grand because they give you this confidence. Like, you know, you have great faith in them. Yeah. They instill it in you. So that's why I never thought this was going to work. I never thought, like, that this was going to beat me. Um, from the, the day I was diagnosed, I kind of had this attitude, okay, right, let's get on with it and let's get through it. Yes, I had tough days. Yes, I, you know, those days I was hospitalized, I was dehydrated, um, I'd lost the weight, lost my hair. But what I didn't lose is my friends. You know, I never lost my friends. I never, never lost that faith. And I think it's it's a very important thing to have. It um, is. If you are going through something like that, is to have good friends and good faith. Not too long ago, you kind of set up a campaign fundraiser walking mm-hmm. the was the one hundred kilometers. Yeah, so this, that, uh, that came about, and you had a good outcome to that. Oh, it was amazing! Yeah, so the hundred k in thirty days. So I finished my chemotherapy on the twenty seventh of May. It was my last day of chemotherapy. I started on the eleventh of February, and that was the Friday. And on the Saturday, I was looking through um. So whatever it was, Facebook or something. And I saw this 100K in 30 days. And I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to sign up for that. Like finishing on the Friday. I said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for the month of June and give something back because of what I've been through yeah. and what I've seen. I said, oh, do you know, even if I raised, I, like my my ambition, actually, when I put up the page that Sunday night, I put up if I could raise a thousand euro. I thought if I could raise that during the month of June, it'd be brilliant. So what it was, was I had to walk literally 100 kilometers in 30 days signed up for it and I I put up my page on the Sunday night and by Tuesday morning Monday morning had gone up to four and a half grand in the, the pot Jesus. and I remember saying to Tom oh Jesus I'm really going to have to do this now <laughs> I was like oh dear no excuse 
but it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So I started that on the 1st of June and at the end of it, I had raised over 43,000 euro and it went to Breast Cancer Ireland. So it all went to, it's going to research for the type of cancer that I have and other types of cancer, the breast cancer that are out there. So it's just great to give something back and knowing that, you know, it's going to go into research. So hopefully it's going to help somebody in the future if they're diagnosed with the cancer that I have. They're trying to come up with a fourth drug, which means that they mightn't have to go through chemotherapy at all. Really? Yeah, it'd be amazing. So I'm on the other drug now, Herceptin at the moment, it's just immunotherapy. Um, It's just wonder drug for the type of cancer that I have. So I'm still on that, but they're actually working on a fourth drug, which would mean they wouldn't have to have chemo. And if I thought that somebody diagnosed with what I had um, wouldn't have to have chemo, then that's a success to me. It'd be fantastic. You know, someone didn't have to do it yet. Did you uh, The gift that keeps on giving that you never want. (laughs) That's what it is. Absolutely. And it's, it's like, it's, it's probably only a, a matter of time until there is something like that. Yeah. You know, and even in my own situation, like they're doing research for paralysis every day as well mm. as cancer and, and you know, touch with hopefully in a in a couple of years that day they might find something. Exactly. How did you um if say like you were saying there, like you had your bad days and everybody everybody in the world does, and if you mm-hmm. say you don't have bad days, it's a total lie and there's something wrong. Um how yeah. did you clear your head did you like to read go for a walk along the canal or how did you like to yeah I suppose to be fair um yeah you had down days so so say my chemotherapy would be on a Friday and I would always be kind of I'd be wrecked like Monday or Tuesday after it you know and then oh look you kind of got the you kind of got the swing of things I suppose you want a better word like the first one I didn't know what to expect you know, yeah. I, I was flying high when I came home to Friday. Sure, I was on steroids. Of course, this didn't register me at all. Like, I thought, oh, God, this was fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Saturday, I get up. Oh, this is great. Again, after taking these steroids, they give you. I was thinking, Jesus, this thing is going to be fine. Sunday, then I was like, hey, bit ropey. Monday, Tuesday, it was like the train was after hitting me full yeah. on. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to collapse. And I got this really bad mouth infection. And again, only for Marade lads, it was was that was the worst part for me was that the mouth infections I got and I couldn't eat or drink or he was you know, on the other end realize, of the phone. Oh, Marade was unbelievable. I swear to God, I can't say enough about her. She's actually on my basketball team. Would you believe right? I transferred into Chile Tigers. Talk about fate. I transferred into Chile Tigers last year. So it ended up on my basketball team was Marade O'Connor, who's the acute oncology nurse, Kira O'Brien, who's the uh, physio and the oncology unit over there. Are you serious? I was like, this was bonkers altogether. I swear to God. Like, so I literally had my team. I had my actual team in the team over there, mind to me, like throughout the whole thing. They've been amazing. The whole Ashton. It's, it's bananas. Like, isn't it, isn't it mad the way things work out? Wouldn't write yeah. Up. Yeah. So I literally had my team <laughs> as my team over there. But um, you were saying about the bad days. So I suppose um, my other half, Tom, um, he's just like talking, stepping up to the plate. Like, it was rock. fantastic. Like, rock. Oh my God. And my kids. So if I'm having a bad day, I just thought of the kids. Yes, I had my bad day. And look, uh, you know, there was days there I'd bring them to school and I'd come home and I'd be absolutely dead, stuck onto yeah. the couch, like you couldn't peel me off. It like, But then when half one came, right, Oshin is home from school, so mum was up again. Like, you know, you have to kind of listen to You yourself. had a reason to carry yeah, on. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. They were my like, reason. Yeah. They were my reason. I suppose the walking, as you said, the canal. Um, loved going for walks down the canal or even just up the side road here in Tone Van. 
Um, or even the lads at work, like, you know, or my friends would, you know, somebody would ring or they'd call for a cup of tea. And I would say that to someone, don't be afraid to talk to someone. And I can understand people don't know what to say to somebody if they're being diagnosed mm-hmm. with something. You know yourself, like, people are kind of like, the head goes down and, and it's not, I don't blame them. Yeah. And I, I can understand it. Yeah, it's hard for them. Like, they don't know what to say. Just be yourself. That's all I'd say to someone. I, like, I had and I have cancer. I am not cancer. You know, Absolutely. it shouldn't define you. And that's the way I look at it. So carry on as normal. I mean, and I'm still When you said that, mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely in another way. I look at it now in an interview there. I said someone a few weeks back, they, one of their children, I think, had Down syndrome or something. And you'd hear people saying, oh, he um, he's Down syndrome. He's not Down syndrome. He has Down syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. You see it yourself there. I mean, and that's the way I view it. Like, yes, I've cancer, but I'm still Mary G. Yeah. I'm still Mary at the end of the day. I haven't changed. Yes, I physically, obviously the hair, the hair was gone. I was bald. And, you know, that was fine too, because the shower was really fast. Like, you know, and yeah. it was like two minutes of the shower now. Because, you know, I had its advantages. I'll be quite honest with you, you know. It's like being <laughs> in a wheelchair. Dog. You never get dirty <laughs> shoes. Your exactly. shoes are always clean. That's what Terry O'Brien says. My God, he says, I have loads of pairs of shoes. I can always give you loan of them. There's no problem. Yeah. You know, like, there's always the pluses for it. So I often say that to people, you know, you'd have the crap facilities in the shower. It was a pleasure. Only two minutes in the shower. Um, yes, I might have changed physically. Like, you know, yes, I lost the weight and the hair was gone. But it was still me. Like, yeah. I, I haven't changed. Like, just because somebody physically looks different or, you know, it doesn't mean the person is any different. And you can appreciate that, Ian. Like, you're still yeah. Ian. You know, funnier than you ever were before, I'd say. You Absolutely. know, but they're still Ian. I'm still Mary. Like, I haven't changed. Yes, maybe I've changed and I've got a more, a better outlook in life than I had before. Yeah. Um, Which I definitely do. Like, I don't think, like, I say to people, you know, eat the chocolate. You know, eat the blooming chocolate. Like, you know, for God's sake, you never know what each day will bring. I mean, I didn't realize this was going to happen to me. And you can't, if you're the crystal ball, look into the future. You know, we don't have that, like, and things yeah. change in a split second. My whole world stopped, like, the world stopped for me. The world kept going, but it stopped for me, for one respect, um, because obviously I had to kind of isolate myself from people when I was going through treatment, um, which I found very hard because I'm a big people person. Yeah. Oh, my God, like, I love company. And, you know, I was training basketball with kids, and I had to stop all that. That was a huge part for me. I just stopped playing myself, even going to work. Like, it was just... I've never not worked like that. Like, you know, so that's been an awful change, a, a big change for me. Like, but look, it's going to be back. All these things will come back. And like you said, I had it's, it's, um, it's positives before we finish up. Mm-hmm. Now yourself, you're feeling obviously positive and everything. Like you said, yeah. you're, um, you're, you're doing well and you're free. You're, yeah. free, you're feeling good. Are you? Oh yeah. I am. So I finished my radiotherapy in, uh, two, two weeks ago now. Um, finished that. I had uh, three weeks of that, and I'm still continuing my immunotherapy. Uh, so that's just once every three weeks. So I'm hoping all all things going well. Um, I'll be finished started that as well by maybe the middle of February. That was a twelve month thing, but yes, look, I'm feeling I'm feeling much much better. Um, you know, I've met a lot of people who've gone through the same treatment. Um, as me, I've made some fantastic friends. Would you believe? Um, through going through chemotherapy. And I think you have to kind of go through something like that to understand what it is like. It's very hard to explain it unless you've been through it. Like, but what I would say to people out there, you know, um, you can do it. I mean, you have to have faith. If you faith in yourself and, you know, the people have to battle. 
Absolutely. But the people that you're dealing with, have faith in them as well, because like I, I've gone through the journey um, I'm still going through the journey, but I'm coming to the end of the tunnel. And, you know, the, there is like the saying is there is light at the end of the tunnel and yeah. I get to it. And it's only through help, like take the help you get. I got the most amazing support um, from people. I, you know, you often get to hear about people that, you know, they say things and people pass away. They say, oh, geez, she was great. And she was this. I got to hear all those things this year, lads, and I was still here. So yeah. it was really nice. It was an awful year, but it was a lovely year because I saw the good people. And, you know, it's a year I, I, I won't forget for very good reasons. And I'm coming out stronger because of it. That's brilliant. I won't touch wood. Everything's going to go all right. And I know you're in everyone's prayers around Kerry and Tralee and Cork City and all, oh. all around the, the place. Yeah. So, Mary, thanks a million for, for coming on today. All right. And thank you. And can I just say to yourself as well, um, like, look at you. And look what you've done and look where you are. And as you said, you're Celine. I'm still Mary G. And Absolutely. that's the way to look at it. Yeah. We're high. We're a strong couple, aren't we? When we get Chop going. that down. Chop <laughs> that down. Now, guys, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I appreciate you tuning in as always. Stay tuned into Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.